Everybody, welcome to another episode of the breakdown. Oh, we've got a list tonight. We've got a few things to talk about. It was a little bit of a week in Alberta politics. Uh, there might have been some some events, some new new folks elected, some new folks stepping down. We're going to talk about some of that, but we're not going to get too too in depth into the actual leadership vote and stuff tonight because we did an episode on Thursday night where we had an amazing discussion with a bunch of people here on Twitter Spaces um, where we talked about sort of everything that was going on. So if you want to get a bunch of different perspectives on that, then go back and listen to the episode before this one or watch the episode before this one because it was a it was a bit of a corker. It was a gooder. Starting off tonight, we're gonna we're, we're gonna start with with some facts. Some some reality. We're going to start talking a little bit about maybe a little bit of, of trickle-down economics, as people like to say. The Parkland Institute. Uh, one of Danielle Smith's favorite folks, apparently, groups, apparently, released a report this week. Uh, they actually released it on October 3rd. And they talked about the impact of the UCP's corporate tax cut. It was one of the big promises that they made when they were coming into government in 2019. They were going to do a job creation tax cut. It was going to make so many jobs. You're not going to know what to do with all of the jobs that was going to be created. Except that's not at all what happened. What the Parkland Institute did is they took a look at what were the major oil companies. There's really four big ones. Um, there's Suncrude, CNRL, Imperial, Synovus. And in total, those four companies cut 3,452 employees after 2019. So that's after the, the job creation tax cut was created. Almost 3,500 people lost their jobs. Now, this is something that's going to likely continue on. But the problem that we're seeing is that the the way that that tax cut money is being reallocated by the corporations isn't how, well, certainly not for the benefit of workers. One of the other things that the Parkland Institute talked about is that in 2021, the average CEO pay for the four big firms was $12.8 million. Dollars. That's million with an M. 12 followed by an 8 followed by five more zeros. That's the yearly salary, the average yearly salary of the CEOs of the four biggest oil companies. The average pay increase that they got was $3.3 million in one year. That's an incredible amount of money when we've seen these companies cutting jobs left, right, and center. And it's really important to take a look at some of the reasons why those jobs are being cut. One of the number one reasons has to do with the fact that there's all this automation and digitization. And the, the, the whole industry is looking for ways to use technology to be more efficient, to get more product, to get it cheaper. And the speculation is that it could potentially result in almost 50,000 job losses in the Canadian upstream oil and gas sector by 2040. That's 54% of the jobs that existed in 2019. Now, to be really, really clear, the Parkland Institute takes it a step farther 
And they make it clear that in those numbers, they're including exploration, production, and oil sands jobs. People have been saying it for years. There's not going to be any major new infrastructure projects that are started up in Alberta in the oil sands because by and large, most of the infrastructure exists. But if this says anything, it proves that the massive tax cuts that the UCP passed on to corporations and in the process of doing so blew a hole in the budget, blew a hole in the revenues that could go to support people with uh, greater needs, people on AISH. People with disabilities, people who have additional needs for health care supports, people who have additional needs for home care, seniors, all of those things. Because of the hole that was blown in the budget in 2019 by this incredibly aggressive tax cut that clearly didn't get Albertans much of anything. People have to be asking themselves, it was really worth it. And this is the whole thing. There's this constant theory of trickle-down economics where if you make the wealthy wealthier, then that money will trickle down magically and people who don't make as much as the 1% will somehow have more money. But that's not how it works. In the current economy, with the current technological innovations that are going on, corporations keep the money for themselves. They find better ways to be more efficient. They find better ways to pay off their shareholders and clearly their CEOs. But that money doesn't trickle down. Trickle-down economics is like telling the kids that if they're really, really good, that they might get better presents from Santa and to make sure that they leave out extra milk and cookies. But the reality is, the presents were bought. They were bought weeks ago, months ago. Nothing's going to change. But mom and dad, well, they get to enjoy some extra milk and cookies while the kids are sleeping. If you want to read that Parkland Institute report, all you have to do is go to their website at parklandinstitute.ca, and it's, it's all right there for you. Moving on from there, there have been some major changes to drug policy in Alberta that are really important to discuss. Those major changes effectively have to do with the way the UCP government was announced. It was very typical because on one hand, they were like, hey, guys, look, this is really, really great. Even though it's totally not our jurisdiction and it's completely under the control of Health Canada, we're going to release some guidelines for treating people with psychedelics for psychological disorders, which is great. There's a lot of people who have been advocating that for a really long time. And there's a lot of evidence that psychedelics can be really, really helpful for people who are dealing with psychological disorders, particularly things like PTSD or anxiety or pre-death situations. So that's a really, really good thing. But inside of this announcement, they also announced that they were going to be making more available opioids or synthetic opioids to help people with opioid addictions, which also in and of itself sounds good. But the bad news is they use this as an opportunity to kill a program that allows people who have incredibly resistant opioid addictions. And it's a very small number. Just a little while ago, there were only 350 people who were enrolled in the program, but it allowed them to have access to injections up to three times a day of pharmaceutical quality controlled narcotics and opiates. 
It was a way that they could function because it wasn't so much that they were just getting stoned all the time, but it was enough that they were able to get jobs. And it was a very, very successful program for the very small amount of people that were utilizing it. Part of the reason why it was so effective, according to a lot of the people in the program, was because they were able to take those medications, which at that point is exactly what they are, home. They didn't have to go to a clinic three times a day to get their injections. They could get a pharmacy to fill the prescriptions. They could take them home and they could use them safely in their own home. Well, that's all canceled now. And there's a lot of people who are really, really concerned that the people who are on that program are going to be in a lot of trouble now. And it also sends a really dangerous message in regards to how, yet again, the UCP government will react to evidence-based medicine. Because the evidence is very clear that this program, in the incredibly controlled way that it's been done, works. These people were using medication that was prescribed by physicians. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And this move to remove it from people only increases the stigma that exists around these sorts of issues. Moving on from there, the continuing saga of Athabasca University. Now, we've talked about Athabasca University quite a bit on the show. We've talked about the fact that it's an online distance learning university. We've talked about the fact that it's also an open university, so anybody can attend. You don't have to have a high school diploma to get into their general studies program. It offers an incredible leg up for people who want to further their education and potentially further their careers by doing so. But it's been a real hotbed because during COVID, Athabasca went to a virtual campus, an almost near completely virtual campus. Now, that meant that instructors could teach from home using uh, programs like Zoom or Microsoft Teams, although I still don't understand why anyone would want to use Microsoft Teams, just my personal opinion. But it allowed them to continue to provide their courses. And again, it's always been a distance learning facility. Well, there were some folks in the town who got really, really upset because they were concerned that that would mean that teachers and instructors wouldn't be living in Athabasca anymore. And they petitioned the provincial government to do something about it. The advanced minister of advanced education, Demetrius Nicolaides, he got in and he was like, oh, yeah, we're going to we're going to make this work. This is we got to have people living in Athabasca. The town needs it. Um, and there was quite a bit of furor over it. And there were a lot of people who were really upset because it would potentially mean that they wouldn't be able to teach there or they would have to move there. A couple months ago, Nicolades came out and he said, you know what? We're going to find a way to make it work, guys. It's going to be okay. I'm all about compromise. I'm all about listening and consultation. And this week, we saw exactly what that version of consultation looks like because Demetrius Nicolades went ahead and fired four of the board members. So he rescinded the appointments of four of the board members. He also went ahead and reappointed someone whose term was about to expire up until 2025. But then he put a bunch more people on the board. Now, if you do the math... There were four people who had their appointments rescinded. There were seven who were appointed to the board. 
including or adding onto that the one who had their appointment extended. And when we saw the list, we couldn't help but think, gosh, there's a couple of those names. Boy, they sure do they sure do look familiar. Why do they why do they look so familiar? It's almost as if we've seen them talked about before. We should we should take a look into that. And so we did. And the first place that we always like to look whenever there's a UCP appointment is the Election Alberta's website where you can see all the contributions that people have made. And it turns out there's a bunch. So to start with, there were a few that were pretty significant. The first one has to do with a gentleman named Larry, this is, is his, his shortened version of the name, Spagnolo. I'm probably mispronouncing that, and I apologize if I am. Larry is the individual who was reappointed. And when we took a look at, hey, how much uh, did maybe, maybe did Larry, did he perhaps donate any money to the UCP? Yep, he sure did. Donated quite a bit, actually. Larry donated $1,900 over the last little while which is not a small amount of money at all. But then we started to wonder, okay, well, how many other ones are there? How many other uh, names are there? Because it wasn't Larry's name that was super familiar for us. So who were the other ones? Well, there's a gentleman named Leo de Bever. And if you go through his list, it breaks down to that he's donated $3,000 to the UCP which is, again, not at all a small amount of money. Moving on from there down the list, there's a gentleman named Dan LeKelt. Again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing those names. He's donated $10,000 to the UCP since 2017. But what's really impressive is that his family has donated even more. Now, the name that really jumped up and grabbed us was Michael Loveson. And Michael Loveson was particularly interesting because he's come up before as well. And when you take a look at Michael Loveson and family, it turns out that Michael is actually Michael Loveson of the Friesen Brothers. There's three brothers who now run the Friesen Brothers grocery store. Michael is one of them. And when you go through their Elections Alberta stuffs, it literally fills almost an entire screen. Now, the last one that kind of got us, there weren't any really interesting donations, but there was one name on the, the list of people who got fired and the people who were hired that we wanted to maybe do some Googling with. And so Wilford Willier, I hope I'm saying that one right, uh, that name, and we can't say for sure whether or not it's the same Wilford Willier, but that name also appears in the Law Society's database. And it appears in the Law Society's database with two tribunal hearings that exist for him. One of them in 2018, and it was a a conduct hearing. And another one recently as 2021, and that was a sanction hearing. Now, he didn't have any major donations that we could see that involved the UCP. But like we said, the earlier ones definitely did. And yet again, it's another example and another long list of appointments that have come from the UCP that seem to illustrate that if you want to get ahead on a board, if you want a powerful position, all you have to do is donate to the UCP a little while. We saw it with the masks. We've seen it in multiple other locations where if you donate money to the UCP, you got a really good shot at getting on a board that's going to give you some power and it's going to give you some prestige. And what's really, really telling about these names 
is the vast majority of the people who are on this board that are clearly appear to be there in order to stack the board so that it'll do whatever Demetrius Nicolaides wants. The vast majority of them live hours and hours away from Athabasca. Moving on from there, there's a big story that's going on right now in the courts about three indigenous women who are challenging the requirement to have to swear an oath of allegiance to the king in order to practice law. Now, this comes about because there was another gentleman who put forward a complaint saying that it was uh, against his religion to swear an oath to the king. And when you take a look at some of the things that the monarchy has done to some folks, it's kind of understandable. The monarchy's done some pretty terrible things to a lot of people. And what these three indigenous women were doing is they were trying to get intervener status in that case to speak to the fact that, yeah, maybe it's more important that someone swears an oath to uphold the law and to act in the best interest of justice and honesty and integrity and, well, I don't know, abide by a, a code of conduct that maybe exists for the law society. Don't know what made me think of that. Um, maybe those things are more important than saying, oh yeah, and props to the king. Now, unfortunately, these women had their intervener status taken, uh, refused. The judge who heard it said, yeah, I don't think it's really relevant in this situation. It's kind of, it's a little bit different. You guys are saying, well, you know, there's this whole genocide thing and he's saying there's this whole religion thing and I don't know if it's apples and oranges. Um, But the women who are involved aren't stopping they set up a GoFundMe, and they're trying to raise money to take this to the, the next level. And it's an important story. Now, one of those women we've had on the show before, and she was an absolutely amazing guest. It was a true privilege to have her on the show. Her name is Rachel Ann Snow. And if you want to get a taste of the, the strength of her, the strength that she brings to the table, go back and watch that early episode for the, the breakdown. We're hoping to get her back on some point soon. Um, But it's an important story and it's one that should be followed because it raises some really important questions about whether or not it's loyalty to the law or loyalty to a monarch that's more important in our legal system. Moving on from there, and you knew we were going to get to it. Alberta has a new premier-in-waiting, premier-designate, tyrant-in-waiting, some people might say. I don't know if Martin Olshinsky is listening to this tonight, but I'll throw that shout-out to him. <coughs> Daniel Smith was, by only percentages difference, uh, elected the new leader of the UCP on Thursday, October 6th. Now, like I said at the beginning of the show, we did a whole thing where we looked at uh, and we had a big conversation right after the vote where we talked about some of the things that she said in her acceptance speech uh, the the performance and I'm using that word very deliberately that she put on in her acceptance speech but there's been some developments since Thursday so we got to talk about those the first major one there's some moving pieces too so we're going to go back a little bit we're going to go back to the end of August last day of August Doug Schweitzer resigned, and it was effective as of midnight. Now, he had previously resigned as a minister, but he was staying on for a couple of weeks as an MLA. As of August 31st, he was out, period, done. No more an MLA. He's got a new gig, quite happy with it. 
nothing to worry about. So Doug Schweitzer's gone. Doug Schweitzer was the MLA for Calgary Elbow. And there has been a lot of debate as to, well, what does that mean? What happens next? And there's a lot of legal questions that exist in regards to whether or not there has to or has to not be a by-election. In theory, the government's supposed to call a by-election within six months of that person leaving their position. But... There's also rules on the books that say in the last year of the life of the legislature, you don't have to have a by-election. And if you look at the changes that the UCP government made to the Elections Act where they said fixed elections date, y'all, it's going to be the end of May every four years, like clockwork. That's the plan. That's what we're doing. It looks like the life of the legislature is four years. The problem is there were a bunch of other parts of legislation that they didn't address that in. And in a bunch of chunks of legislation, the life of the legislature is defined as five years. Now, this has led to many Twitter debates and in debates in other places in regards to, well, does there have to be a by-election or not? And when you get the lawyers involved, especially the smart lawyers and the legal scholars involved, the universal answer seems to be, well, it would have to go to court. <laughs> And given that the UCP have six months from the date of uh, Doug Schweitzer's resignation, which is August 31st, they don't have to. Nobody could even think about taking them to court until that six months expires. And then we're only a stone's throw away from the election anyway. So there's some shenanigans that are at play there for sure. Regardless, the whole time, this whole time, Calgary Elbow hasn't had an MLA, which definitely sucks for them. But what happened the day after the the legislature, uh, sorry, after the election results came in and Daniel Smith was the, the new leader, it was decided that, uh, you know what, Michaela Frey, she's going to be stepping down. She's quitting. She's out. She's had enough. She's got to go, got to go count some pipelines somewhere as she did in the days of her youth. That's a very inside baseball joke, but I trust that some of you will get it. Um, and that she was encouraging Danielle Smith to run in the next election. Well, Danielle Smith and Michaela Frey just held a press conference, and this is what they had to say. But we haven't heard anything about Calgary Elbow as of yet. Now, they've been without an MLA since Doug Schweitzer resigned at the end of August. Now, is there a potential you will announce a by-election for there? And if not, why? No, I won't. And part of the reason for that is that it, there has been a convention that uh, when, a, a, uh, when a leader is chosen who does not have a seat, the, there's an expectation that she will uh, seek a, a seat at an early opportunity. So I think that the, uh, the exception can be made for, for this by-election. But the, uh, there is also um, a convention as well that if you're within a year of having a general election, that you don't need to call by-elections and others. The, there may be other candidates who are also stepping, stepping away. And so I think that we would be, I think rather than have a rolling series of by-elections, we may as well uh, just stick with the convention of having the adjacent MLA take care of the issues in the in the riding, and we'll we'll stick with the fixed election date of May the 29th. Now, there's a whole lot to unpack in what Daniel Smith said there, and we're going with our 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 very favorite Daniel Smith graphic. Um, but you know, to be honest, what jumped out at me the the quickest was when she said, "There's probably some more that are going to be stepping down." 
the fact is, right out of the gate, she's acknowledging there's a very high likelihood there's going to be more UCP MLAs who can't, for whatever reason, stay in government as MLAs. And what she's saying is, oh, no, we got a plan for that. If that happens, then what we're going to do is we're going to have everybody else just kind of cover the other bases and it'll be okay. Which is really quite a fascinating way to say things. But what's even more significant about this is Michaela Frey resigned the seat the day after the election. It's pretty clear to most observers what's probably going on here. And it's certainly been shared widely in social media that the the odds of Danielle Smith winning an election in in Calgary Elbow are, are probably different than the odds of her winning where she's running instead. She's running in a, a rural setting, which is her, her sandbox. But we thought it might be fun to sort of unpack, given Smith Smith's uh, flexible communications, let's say, what else has Danielle Smith said about what she would do, where she would run, all that kind of stuff? Well, it turns out on August 16th, Rachel Emanuel did an interview with uh, not only Smith, but apparently her campaign manager. And what he said, gosh, a whole month and a half ago, was there have been no changes. Smith will still run in Livingston McLeod, campaign manager Matthew Alltime said in a message to True North on Tuesday. Smith said she would run in Livingston McLeod, where she's lived since 2011 when she launched her campaign back in May. And here's the kicker. I'm old fashioned, Smith said at the time. I feel like you should live in the riding that you represent which is, of course, nowhere near to where she's running. She's running in an entirely different riding that is, as we've pointed out already on Twitter this week, three hours away in good weather. So already Smith has moved the goalposts. But it's very on brand for Smith to move the goalposts like that because that's not the only thing that she's moved the goalposts on in the last few days. Let's go all the way back to the heady days of June where in a National Post article, former Wild Rose MLA Rob Anderson, who's one of the chairs of the Danielle Smith campaign and who was one of the authors of the Free Alberta Strategy and whose law firm was involved with the GoFundMe that apparently has managed to turn $100,000 that was raised in order to sue the government about vaccine availability into a $90,000 tax write-off for Smith. That Rob Anderson, Rob Anderson, who used to be a PC and then a Wild Rose and then a PC MLA after he crossed the floor and then crossed the floor again. Well, here's what what was in the National Post article. Former Wild Rose MLA Rob Anderson, one of the other authors of the Free Alberta Strategy, said the idea is that it doesn't matter what the Supreme Court or the federal government says about it. If it attacks Albertans, the interest of Albertans, and it attacks our jurisdictional rights, we simply won't enforce it with any provincial agency. Right there, Rob Anderson is saying very clearly, doesn't matter what the court says, doesn't matter what the Supreme Court says, he's built the Alberta Sovereignty Act in such a way that it will absolutely stand up to all of this, this scrutiny. And this wasn't the only time that this came up in the campaign. Back in September, CBC ran an article that talked about the fact that, according to the Danielle Smith campaign, Alberta could re- ignore court rulings under the Sovereignty Act. 
And this is a quote. If Alberta believed Alberta, sorry, if Ottawa believed Alberta was acting unconstitutionally, it would be up to the federal government to file a constitutional challenge. Smith's description of the act states that Alberta could choose to ignore the court if it ruled in favor of Ottawa. Pretty clear. Danielle Smith strongly, strongly believes that her sovereignty act meant that she didn't even have to listen to the Supreme Court. And it's this tone. It's this anger and this, we're going to fight so hard, we're going to break all the rules, we're going to do whatever we want. It's that piece that resonated so strongly with the convoy crowd and the freedom folks and everybody who unfortunately has been weaponized and misinformed by a bunch of people who have recognized that they can make a whole lot of money off of getting them angry. Well, just like Smith pivoted from her all-only-ever-run in Livingston McLeod, it didn't take very long for Rob Anderson to pivot from the Supreme Court stance. On October 8th, he was quoted as saying, but don't for a second confuse, or sorry, he was quoted as saying, um, I'll just quote the article, Rob Anderson, the Smith campaign chair, who will serve as her top premier's office aide, said in an interview that her sovereignty legislation won't will not empower Alberta to disregard Supreme Court rulings, which confirms that it won't be quite as combative or constitutionally defiant as the Free Alberta strategy that inspired her plan and which Anderson co-wrote. Now, the kicker to all of this, of course, is that last night we had a little, we had a little debate going with some folks uh, on the interwebs and they were saying, oh, no, this is what the, the Free Alberta Strategy says. This is what Danielle Smith says about the Alberta Sovereignty Act. We, we read the website. We know. And so we thought, well, let's go check out that website. Let's go see what's, what's, what's going on there. The website, as it currently exists now, has a thank you. And it has an opportunity for people to donate to her campaign. The main screen, the splash screen that accesses all of the other parts of the website, unless you have direct links, has deleted all of her campaign stuff. It's deleted all of her campaign messaging. It's deleted all of her videos. And that's right. It's deleted all reference to the Alberta Sovereignty Act. So not only do we have Danielle Smith's head strategist and her top aide when she gets sworn in as premier on Tuesday. Not only do we have this guy saying, oh, no, guys, when we said it would be up against the Supreme Court, we didn't actually mean the, su the Supreme Court. We didn't probably mean any court. We just meant that we'd, we, would, we would be very loud, I guess. But the website has now been deleted as well. Now, we want to end things on a bit of a more, more fun note because there were some other very interesting things that were said in that press conference. And we want to share just one more clip with you. Uh, with the uh, NDP Liberal Coalition in Ottawa voting to triple the carbon tax in the face of what is already being demonstrated to be a, a true hardship for the most vulnerable, we have no choice but to rechallenge the, the, the retail carbon tax in, in, uh, in court. And I think there's a lot of misconception. I think there's the, the, the way the courts and legislatures work. It's not like double jeopardy that if the Supreme Court makes a decision, you can never challenge it again. If there's new information, 
that would change the argument, we, we can relitigate. And I think there's a lot of, of things that have changed in the last couple of years with the war in Ukraine creating a, a insecurity of supply, which has caused a spike in hydrocarbon fuels across the world and creating this affordability crisis. It, it can be destabilizing if we don't address that. So I'm committed to continuing forward on the technological advances, which I know will make Alberta a leader in reducing overall emissions here and globally, but we're not going to be punishing. We can't be punishing our, our retail consumers, especially those who can least afford to pay. Now, Daniel Smith's right. <laughs> there are clearly a lot of misconceptions about how the Supreme Court works. It's just not the ones that she's thinking about. Because we threw this out to a bunch of lawyers and we asked for a bunch of different opinions from constitutional scholars and constitutional lawyers. And we said, hey, is the war in Ukraine a legal argument? And I don't want to I want to be very clear. I'm not mocking the war in Ukraine. That's not what we're doing here at all. But the notion that current events somehow change legal arguments, especially transient current events, somehow change legal arguments or case law or precedent, especially when those current events aren't even occurring within the border of the country whose legal system we're talking about, has been pretty much laughed off of all of the places where we asked those questions. It's simply not how the Supreme Court works. The only thing that Danielle Smith is going to accomplish by trying to relitigate the decision of the Supreme Court on the carbon tax, which the Supreme Court was very clear on. It is federal jurisdiction because it represents a national problem. The only thing Danielle Smith's going to accomplish with any of that is going to be wasting gobs of taxpayers' money on a performative lawsuit that isn't going to accomplish anything in regards to moving the goalposts on the carbon tax. And one can't help but wonder, given Ms. Smith's incredible record of moving the goalposts around with a frequency that I don't think we've seen. I don't even think Kenny was this quick to change what he thought about how he was going to do his fight. At the very least, Kenny overused rhetoric, but all of the things that he said he was going to do, he did. They were terrible things, not endorsing them in any way. But he was pretty clear, I'm going to go do this dumb thing. And then he went and did the dumb thing. Smith is already moving the goalposts on what dumb things she's even going to be doing. And the reason why this is of particular concern is because, as we mentioned just a little while ago, one of the big problems and one of the big dangers of Danielle Smith is that she has leaned way into the freedom folks and she has leaned way into the convoy folks and she has legitimized a lot of alt-right, quite frankly, bullshit science in order to get people to get on board with what she's trying to accomplish. And it's dangerous. And if history has taught us nothing, it's that when these fires of, of misinformed populism get lit, they don't stop until really, really horrible things have happened. And with Danielle Smith already pivoting away from all of the big, bold, angry promises that she made to that base, let's remember, these are the same people who put up border blockades in our province. 
Let's remember, these are the same people who plotted to kill RCMP officers, allegedly. I'm learning I have to use that word more. Um, <laughs> these are not people who are going to be easily de-escalated. And if Smith follows through on her promises, she's going to fall flat on her face, which is going to only further incite distrust in the courts, which is something that we can't afford to have happen. But if she pivots, then those people are going to go after the next person who's going to make all of the bullshit populist promises. And eventually what's going to happen is they're going to find somebody who's going to try to deliver on them. And the cost to Alberta is going to be catastrophic. Now, we've got a couple other things that we want to hit on real quick. Then we're going to open it up to the floor. I want to just take a sec to acknowledge some of the chat that's going on on the YouTube side of things. Um, there's a couple of people who are already pointing out. Uh, Shauna says, for someone like me, myself, the climate rebate is more than I spend in the tax. And that's really important to remember. There is a rebate that happens. And for a lot of people, that rebate is actually more, especially when we start to talk about the more vulnerable Albertans, that rebate that they get from the federal government is more than what they spend on the carbon tax anyways. I don't know why Danielle Smith and the UCP don't talk about that more. It's almost as if it invalidates the entire premise of their argument. We're living in a world now where I'm rejecting the premise of the, 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 the questions and the arguments coming from the UCP. But we had two things that we wanted to talk about real quick. First one is we did a send off for Maddie when he left. Made some jokes. We're going to do that again tonight. That's what the shirt is, by the way. We're still making jokes about Matt. Uh, the executive, one of Jason Kenney's right hand men is, is leaving. Brock Harrison is, is done. He's moved on. To bigger and better pastures. Brock's out, which is probably for the province not a terrible thing. Brock has a bit of a, a, a troubled history uh, when it comes to the things. Brock was the communications director for uh, a, a political candidate who didn't do so well, you might have heard, Andrew Shear. Brock's got like whatever the reverse of a Midas touch is, it seems to be. But Brock's moving on to greener pastures, he's moving on to TC Energy. Now, you probably think that name sounds familiar, too. And there's a very, very good reason why it should. TC Energy, for whom Brock is now involved as the Director of Government Relations, because of course he is, uh, TC Energy was the, the group that uh, did the whole Keystone XL thing. You know, that giant project, that pipeline to nowhere that ended up costing Albertans over a billion dollars. Estimates range anywhere from one point three to one point six billion dollars. Is it a vanity project? Because Jason Kenney wanted to bet on the fact that Trump was going to get elected and he didn't want to wait to put pipe in the ground. That's where Brock's going. That's a hell of a golden parachute when you stop and think about it. The other thing that we wanted to update you on was our FOIP request. So some of you might remember a little while ago, there was this little problematic essay contest where uh, the they, they got five submissions. They chose three winners. One of them was, the essay contest was to talk about how women were going to have a positive impact on politics and how they were going to do good things for politics. And it didn't quite go, I think, as some expected because one of the, the winning 
contenders was it, it kind of read like circa 1939 Germany. Uh, it was misogynistic. It was racist. And it was chosen by two UCP MLAs. So we thought we'd do some FWIPs. Now, the, pro- the contest was actually put on by the Legislative Assembly Office, and we've learned some things about the Legislative Assembly Office, chief number one being they're immune to FOIPs. So the response that we got was, uh, I'll read it to you here for those of you that are on the Twitter spaces, a thorough search of LAO records was conducted based on the scope of your request. Attached are copies of records previously released in the public domain determined to be responsive to your request. A total of five records has been disclosed on whole. An inventory of records has been prepared to assist you. Please see Appendix A. We got eight pages of the website for the contest. Didn't really need the appendix to to scroll through that. But moving on, they also said other records you requested are excluded from the scope of the act under section 41P, section 1P, I think it's an eight in Roman numerals, excludes the office of a member of legislative assembly under the definition of public body. Section 41P provides that the act does not provide, does not apply to records created or by or for the office of a member of the Legislative Assembly that are in the custody or control of the Legislative Assembly office as confirmed by order numbers and then more words. So basically what it boils down to is because the essay contest was run through the Legislative Assembly office, anything that was connected to it, no one ever gets to know. Now, we did have another FOIP that we're still waiting for the results. We should be getting it in the, the next couple of days. I'm fully expecting that it's going to be exactly the same, same thing, but it is what it is. Um, we have other FOIPs that we're gonna, we have in the system as well. We have a couple that we're working on writing up because uh, there's lots of other stuff going on. Uh, there's there was this this information technology flow problem with the COVID update a little while ago. Didn't see the LAO's fingerprints anywhere on that, so we're going to try to find out if they if they were involved. Um, we've got some other stuff that we've got in the pipes as well, and that's that's the bulk of what we wanted to talk about tonight. As always, we're going to open it up to the floor though. So if anybody wants to to weigh in with any of the things, any of the thoughts on the Twitter spaces. We do have a little bit more chat going on the YouTubes, which is great to see because we're trying to uh, we're trying trying to have more of that. We really, really enjoyed the conversation on Thursday. And we got a lot of really positive feedback um, about the conversation on Thursday. So we're 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 hoping to to kind of continue that. So with that being said, we're gonna open it up to the Twitter spaces. If you've got some some thoughts if I said something that you believe is, is factually or categorically incorrect, would love to hear from you and hear how I'm, I'm wrong. Or sometimes I even like to be told I'm right. That gives me warm, fuzzy feelings. But uh, in line with that as well, we got to always lay down our little bit of our ground rules. Uh, we like to deal with as best we can facts here. So if you've got something that demonstrates I'm wrong, cool, totally open to hear it. But if you start talking about how the COVID vaccines give you 5G reception, and something WEF, then then we're going to have to to interrupt you and, and shut you down because none of those things are true. Um, also, no hate speech, just because that's super gross and we don't have the time for it. And we've got one of our regular speakers who's already tapping in, which is delightful. Lynn, what's going on tonight? And now we get the awkward Twitter spaces pause. 
Uh, hi, hi guys. How are you? Good. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't turn my mic on. Um, I'm not going to keep you long. I'm uh, obviously not happy that Crazy Pants won, um, but there was no good winner anyway. But two points. A uh, challenge for tonight is for people to actually understand what the carbon tax is. We look at it as a tax. It's no different than EI or CPP. That's a really good way to look at it. There's no difference. And I mean, they attach tax to it so that we all freak out that it's a tax. But, and I don't, I can't get into it because I don't, a hundred percent understand it but from my perspective as a two-person family we got and these are rough numbers within a couple dollars uh we received eight hundred dollars last well we haven't got it all yet but we will receive in the past year eight hundred plus dollars so um next year we will get twenty four hundred dollars but the actual cost is twenty three so when it comes to an actual tax that we haven't paid a penny for, we're ahead a hundred dollars, which is 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 not bad. <laughs> I mean, it's just bucks. it's not it's not something you're taxed on. It's the same as CPP or an RSP. You're not taxed on it when you when you actually apply for it. When you take it out, it's different, right? Uh, that's not a good. That's not a good analogy. CPP and EI are the best, but I challenge you to look into what actually the carbon tax is and why Albertans get it and why provinces who refused it and do their own thing get nothing because it's... Anyway, I, I, I'm not going to go on about that. I just, I, I just want people to understand that it's not an actual tax and to do your own research so that you understand that they're misleading us when it comes to what it's actually costing us. And the second point I have is that, and I got this from a, from a Twitter person and I forgot to put his name on. Uh, when it comes to Danielle crazy pants saying that the provinces were never intended to be subordinate to the feds. I would like to say this to her. First of all, I am a Canadian. Second of all, I'm an Albertan. And in the Constitution Act, the BNA Act of 1982, it provides the federal government to have power to disallow any provincial legislation. So I would like to know how she, which I believe she's not going to follow through with this Sovereignty Act, she did that to get her base. Yep. So... That's all I'm going to say. Yep, I totally agree with you. And I think that, you know, when it comes to the 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 provinces were never intended to be, you know, subordinate or whatever to the to the feds, um, the, the the provinces were created by the feds. I mean, Alberta in particular, we got a, we got a bunch of laughs about Ron Orr and his whole. I don't understand why Alberta wasn't admitted into Confederation until 19 or whatever it was. Um, OK, seriously. Yeah. As a woman, that man does not speak for me. I think there's a lot of Albertans, men and women, who feel that way. Okay, just look at his picture. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. Always a pleasure to have you tap in.
Um, we got another speaker. We got a gooder. My friend Sarah, what's going on? Hey, Nate. How's it going? I'm doing good. I hope you've gotten some rest over the last couple of days. Uh, yeah, but I I got a phone call not a long time ago that I was not expecting. And very often when you're campaigning, your family's retaining some information uh, from you. And I learned tonight I lost a loved one. Oh, no. So hug the ones you love hold them tight because that 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 one stings today but i'm gonna be okay i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna so turn off my phone for a few days yeah, that's probably rent, really rent over <laughs> i'm so sorry to from all of us here and i'm sure that you'll probably get some Thanks. some ats after this and don't be terrible people because Man, Sarah's had a week. Um, <laughs> it's been uh, <laughs> it's been interesting. <laughs> so, are you? Gonna, um, what, what do you, you got? Any 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 poly thoughts? AB poly observances. We don't have a Deirdre tonight because I'm told. No, we don't have a Deirdre. Here's my question for you. Maybe you know the answer to this. Like, I know that in the U.S., the 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 whole Thanksgiving thing is, yeah, we started a genocide, but in <laughs> Uh, in Canada, what's I don't like? I was thinking about this earlier. I was like, I don't know why we have Thanksgiving. Nate, I'm from Quebec. We don't celebrate Thanksgiving. Okay, there we go. <laughs> we we do, but we don't. Like when I moved out here, that's when I started celebrating Thanksgiving. Um, but before, I can't say that you know. Like actually, I think Thanksgiving is like one of my favorite holidays now. Meeting with the family, and you know, after the summer and all that. But uh, back home when I was little, I, it was not a thing. <laughs> okay, so I don't well, I would, know. I, I, I think it's just to give thanks the after the, the harvest. Um, but I don't think it's the same. It has the same connotation or the same historical me- me- meaning as in the United States. Okay. So I don't know. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Back to the politics stuff. <laughs> the politics stuff. Oh, the politics stuff. I went from, you know, it's it's been funny because I went from like the worst person in the world to I did a good job to you're the worst to you did a shit job to oh my God, what's going on? It's been quite fascinating. Um, and we're uh, the morning after I, I woke up and I had like 125 text messages and like 25 phone calls missed because I put my phone on, on silence and I slept in Friday morning. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen in the next few weeks. Um, you know, I, I'm just going to say this for the ones that are, you know, and I understand that there's a lot of, angry people out there and a lot of upset people out there. Um, how could I say? So uh, we all saw that there was a picture of, you know, Lila, Rebecca Schultz and Roger and Shani and the rest of caucus standing behind Danielle Smith. Everybody um, looked so happy in that picture. He said not at all, ironically or sarcastically. So I'm going to say this. Do not I'm going to ask for one thing, and everybody's going to call me a huge apologist for Leland and whatnot, but, you know, they were just coming out of caucus. First caucus meeting. Um, let's let's wait a little bit before dragging people in the mud. Yeah, I think that's I'm important. Just gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say that because I saw a lot of comments in the past few days, and, you know, they were... I, 
And I'm not defending the premier here, not at all. I'm just saying before starting calling people names, before starting dragging them to mud, and before crucifying them on the cross or whatever they want to do, I would say just let's just wait and see. I, I bet you, uh, well, I wasn't there, but uh, I bet you that they did not choose their spot. Well, you know, I would say what I would say to that is a um, losing a leadership race has got to be something that, you know, it's one of those things where I imagine there's a bunch of people telling all of the leadership candidates. So you don't make any decisions, any big decisions right now. Um, yep. And then the second piece of it is uh, we saw after that Cox meeting, we saw Daniel Smith down in Medicine Hat going on about, yeah. like, hey, so there's going to be more. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. Um, we'll, we'll get other people to do double work. No problems. Um, it's just a wait and see situation exactly. at this point. Exactly. Um, you know, I, I can't, I, I'm Lena's campaign manager, but I cannot speak on her behalf. Of course not. Um, but let's just, let's have a little bit of patience. And let's just see what happens. Absolutely. Well, Sarah, I it was a spicy know, week. It was a spicy week. <laughs> It was um, a very spicy week. I think we're just getting can, warmed up. Can we can can we talk about war? Um, so here's what I noticed. So I'm just gonna talk about Thursday night when we got the first round results. There was a nautical gasp in the room. Yes, my my husband was saying, um, "Our voter ID was not." what was displayed on that screen that night. Um, now, for anybody who's listening who doesn't know what a voter ID is, why don't you just define so that real quick? So voter ID is when you, you are calling members or supporters and you you know you have your the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth vote. So, um, like, you know, between the last and sixth place, it was 300 votes difference, I believe. It was very, very minimal. Between the seventh and fifth, I think there was. Oh, I'm not too sure, but um, I'll put it that way: that the voter ID was not matching the the results. Um, you know, I, I would recommend. There's a lot of. There's still a lot more work out there to do in voter engagement, um, and we're gonna have to go low and slow because. There's a lot of healing to do in the next few months, weeks, if not years. Um, it was extremely interesting. I see Crystal just popped in. Crystal gave me a big hug, and I was crying my life away Thursday night, and I was trying not to, to cry in front of everyone. But um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the premier will approach her Alberta Sovereignty Act. Like you said earlier, this has been taken down. We'll see what's going to happen. We're going to see how it's worded. Uh, there's no draft yet, but uh, it's just been a weird week, an extremely weird week. Um, yeah, it's I, been odd. I think it's only going to get more more odd. Uh, and I think that there's going to be lots of, I, I mean, I think I said on Thursday, there's not going to be any shortage of things to talk about on the break. Mm, 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 mm. I just, you know, I'm, 
I'm still, uh, you know, kind of tying up the loose ends on the campaign side. So I, I need to be extremely careful in, you know, what I'm engaging in and I'm trying to be as transparent as I can. Um, but I'm going to say, um, you know, the legislature is set to um, open on October 31st. Of course, it's the 31st. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm just curious. Do you, uh, if you could let me know, if you have any kind of inside track, since the legislature is opening on the 31st, if 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 there's going to be like a, a Cheesies and M&M's theme, I would love to know about that. No. No, but I, I wanted to go visit the giant Cheeto and Cheeto. I, I still don't get that. I can't wrap my head around that, but. It's 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 okay. It's half hour from our house, so we're just gonna go. But no, you know, she she did say that she wanted the ASA to be as Bill One. But I've been reading comments from Rob Anderson and Miss Smith herself, and I'm just trying to gather all of the information because right now, like after a campaign, you usually kind of filter what you want to see, what you don't want to see. You're kind of a little bit more selective on your social media and everything you're looking into. Um, but it, it, I don't know, Nate. I'm I'm expecting a light version. I think that they're I mean, the way that they're softening the ground already. I mean, from a from from a comms strategy standpoint i think the fact that we went from june of we will say no to everything and we will say no to the courts and and all of that to yesterday oh no the the the, we can't say no to the courts but it'll still have like teeth and stuff promise they're they're already starting to move the the goalposts more to the moderate side of thing because i think smith recognizes that as much as she won with 54 whatever percent that's not going to carry her in a general and she needs to soften her stance in order to get even close to any of the moderates um coming over to her yeah no and the thing is that like i always said it's one thing to elect a leader but it's another thing to get your leader elected and to win the general so it's going to be very 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 interesting because uh, people are angry right now on both sides. So, you know, we're seeing what the take back Alberta. They're at step three of their process right now. Uh, you know, step one was to remove Kenny. Step two was to get Smith elected. Step three is to take over, you know, do a board takeover at the AGM on 21st. So that's going to be interesting to go see. Um, I'm going to be there. You're going to have to send me notes because I don't have the, the, the mad cash to do the $1,000 observer status. <laughs> but it's $375 if you're a member. I don't – yeah, I feel like <laughs> my – that's done for me. Yeah. It, and I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that as soon as we bought our ticket – whether it was as a member or as the observer status, all of a sudden we would get the same, oh, wait, that window's closed. Sorry, guys, that we got last time. Uh, so... <laughs> or they're just, are you going to have like the premier press secretary running after you like they did with me last year? Exactly. They, they... And be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a Harrison Fleming running after me and be like, sorry, Sarah, we got to take your pass away. <laughs> it was cute. But no, so we're going to see. There's a lot of proposals that are... I'm like, I got to go vote them down because... This is a scary <laughs> it's one. It's just... Uh, 
It's interesting. I can't believe, uh, I just got to say for the record, I cannot believe that that ugly piece of policy that... Which one? That, well, I'm <laughs> the one that I'm, I'm particularly displeased with there's no shortage but the one that i'm particularly displeased with is the is the the one about there should be no parents should not be forced to provide gender affirming care or use oh, the appropriate yes. pronouns for kids like a i'm gonna not use that word that's not a thing i'm trying to limit my f-bombs to special occasions only um but that's not a thing there's there's literally no rules there's literally no laws that say that that parents have to be less shitty no. to their kids. No, um, it's, it doesn't yeah. exist. So they're they're deliberately fanning the flames to try to misrepresent yeah. things, and it's just gross. But we need to remember that those policies are coming from um, the writings, the constituency association, um, high Edmonton decor. You've sent a lot of policy proposals this year. Uh, they have a lot on the docket, but, you know, um, I think that, you know, as moderates, um, well, I'm probably going to go down in flames with that one, but we really need to stand our ground. Like uh, this summer when we we're campaigning, I, you know, I, I was campaigning on stuff that I believe in. Nate, you've known me for long enough and, you know, it's, it's stuff that I'll never walk away from. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go in there and I'm, you know, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be putting in my vote and say no, because, you know, it's gonna be very interesting to see what is going to happen. It's going to be fascinating. Given that a week, Nate, it's gonna be interesting, and then that weekend's gonna be. I'll send you the Coles note. Um, it's gonna be double interesting, um, because we're not only you know the 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 progressive side is kind of erased now it's kind of gone clearly um yeah and you know what i found fascinating is that it took danielle six rounds to get to 53 percent it was some rounds she was getting 0.5 it was it was fascinating to watch at the convention I think that um, that convention only showed just how polarized the party has become internally because, like you said, there were there were rounds where the increments moved, like, not at all. Um, yeah. And I think it's because there was very, very clearly a uh, establishment candidate, air quotes, in um, Taves. And then there was all of the the, the freedom folks in the, the Smith camp. Um, and... I said going in, it was going to that whole whole leadership thing was going to decide the the current and future soul of the UCP, and it's very very clear that it is a a, a black withered thing that drives F one fifties with big flags and F Trudeau stickers on the back of it. Yeah, so you know, let's wait and see before dragging people in the mud. It's all I'm going to ask right now. Um, leadership was just over four days ago. We need the dust to settle first. Um, it's great to come up and, you know, start barking at people because they attended caucus meeting, but those people are still elected and they're still showing up for work. So, um, and, you know, throwing a temper tantrum the morning after the election is not necessarily the best move. Well, I mean, I think Um, it's pretty clear that anybody who quits rurally was doing Smith yep. a favor up until yesterday. 
Yep. Everything has a strategy. Uh, Everything is a strategy. We need to remember that. And, you know, um, because I've seen some pretty, like, scathing comments um, recently, and I'm just like, whoa. Okay. It's, you know, it's fair game. But let's just maybe just let's wait a little bit. Sounds good. That's my professional recommendation, my friend. Sounds good. Other than that, what happened this week? Like, I was such in a bubble of election and craziness and well we did I don't like know. 45 minutes at the start of the show on it was, yeah was sorry that. i was on the phone with my family <laughs> well there's the athabasca university board right. with donors and then brock's gone to the land of no pipelines and yes. um, smith wants to carbon tax sue because other things parkland report i really do recommend that the parkland report should be should be listened to and sarah since you live in calgary i'm going to use this as an opportunity to plug the episode previous to this one we just yes louise dean oh my goodness guys please listen to it i cannot believe okay so can we talk about this for a minute sure and we got a couple speakers coming up but we I, i give you a couple minutes on this for sure i cannot believe that the cbe is pulling out a program that is so important it's pretty stunning I'm just, I'm shocked by that. That Louisiana is a safe place for teen moms. And, you know, and sending them to Forest Lawn with not the same um, program and, you know, support that they would be getting at Louisiana. My dudes, you have some money in the bank. Instead of saying that Louisiana is too old, Spend some bucks on Louise Dean and save some lives, please. Yeah. And this is where I'm again going to say everybody needs to email the the CBE. The email address is on that episode. I, I don't want to give the wrong one right now, so I'm not going to try to pull it out of the ether. But uh, if you live in Calgary and you want to see, like, A, go to the Facebook page, uh, Save LDC. And you can read some of the stories of some of the moms who had their lives changed because they attended that school and they have been able to to provide for their families and their kids in ways that they wouldn't have been able to without that school. Um, and the the proposed stuff that they're, the CBE is looking at doing when we see, I mean, it's like I said in the episode when I was talking to the, the two amazing women who were having that good enough to have that chat with me we have vacancy rates that are through the roof right now and it is inconceivable to me that there are no options on the mm-hmm. table other than than what's being proposed but one of the things that we know we've talked about it for the last i don't know like couple of months engagement is the thing that makes a difference and so you can make a very real difference by yeah. sending that email, signing up to the the online thing and saying, hey, you know what? This this measure is a half measure and it's not okay. Um, so that's my that's my big big one for the week. Oh, it's I was just in shock when I saw it. Yeah. Sorry, I couldn't believe it. Like and I watched your video and it was just why? Why? I it's the world is cruel and I feel like that we're heading in direction that we should not be heading, um, you know, providing, you know, providing supports and allowing those, um, girls to have dignity 
and raise their kids and get an education and really just be able to be empowered um, to move on with life and, you know, become, you know, part of the working class. And, you know, it's, it's all, it's in everybody's best interest to keep that school open. If it takes half a million dollars to keep it open, revamp it, just do it, goddammit. I don't understand why they're so high-strong on it. Sending it to Forest Lawn will do no good. They're going to be losing mostly all of their supports. And they got to be in a very, very specific, non-judgmental environment to be able to thrive. And I think that's at l- that's the least that CBE should do and could do. I totally agree. Providing those kids with, you know, sorry, I'm calling them kids because I could be their mom. Um, you know, providing those teen teenager uh, the support and the dignity and the love and the care that they need. And it's not a never, but it's not a left or right issue. It's at some point we need to stop defining what is left and what is right, and do the right thing. Yep. And that's one of them. Totally agree. Um, I think, I think too often people get too far away from their teenage years or maybe they had really great teenage years, but for a lot of people, um, I'm going to go ahead and quote one of my favorite bands from one of my favorite albums. Uh, teenagers scare the living shit out of me. Uh, and the teenagers can be, unbelievably cruel and especially for somebody who's already trying to overcome and deal with the stigma of being a teen mom um we need to be we need to be protecting them and we need to be giving them space being pregnant announcing it to your parents like i can't even imagine like i had my first kid i was 38 37 wait maddie's gonna be two years and three weeks so i was what 37 I had all of the privilege to be able to bring that child to the world and not being worried about missing of anything. I cannot imagine how difficult it is to decide to continue with a pregnancy. And hats to them because, you know, a lot of people will not be able to do it, to continue with their pregnancy, to reach out for support and be there for their child and want to continue their education. Like, those girls deserve only the best of the best. And, you know, it's it's just the right thing to do. Well, the I'd other thing that's particularly telling to me is that we've gotten quite a bit of feedback on that episode on the various places where it lives. And we've gotten lots of DMs. Uh, and there has not been a single person who has said, no, no, this plan's good. Everybody has said. And the number yeah. of, the number of graduates who have reached out and who have said, oh my God, this is a flaming dumpster fire. Make it stop, make it stop. Uh, I mean, it's... The, the the people with the lived experiences are the ones that we really should be doing a better job of listening to. Um, and I know for me, like, middle-aged white dude, I'm not going to try to say what's best for a, a, a teen mom without asking her. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Consultation, consultation, consultation. We should always consult. Couldn't agree and- you know, uh, it's one thing saving money. It's one thing saying the building's breaking. But have we measured the outcomes? I don't think so. 
I don't think they've done their homework. But you're not gonna get any incendiary commentary from from me this week. I don't know. I think that I'm still was good. I'm still in the neutral zone here. <laughs> well, we'll have you back next week, and we'll talk about the the Louise Dean situation some more. If there's any developments, and then then you can be as incendiary as you want, because yeah, as much as it is, guess... this decision likely is tied to budgetary stuffs. Um, it's just a bad decision. It's an extremely bad decision, and it's just bad bureaucracy at this point. All right, Sarah, I've got Pete, who's been waiting here for very patiently Pete, for, for quite sorry, some time. Sorry, Pete. So I'm gonna. I'm gonna go to bed. You have a good night. Hey, get some rest. Take care of yourself. And I will. You know the the Lord gave us ten fingers, but He gave us two for very specific reasons, and they're made for the haters. So oh, they're my favorite ones too. This is I call it the big salute. There you go. Use it. Use it. <laughs> use it. It's unlimited. <laughs> They're free. <laughs> Unless you get like carpal tunnel or something, you can throw those things out all day long. Yeah. We, did you play the Canada as your intro today? I see. I'm conflicted on that because on one hand, like I don't understand how that happened, but on the other oh hand, oh my like, dude, my dude, you should have heard it live. I oh feel, my god, I was backstage. I feel for her. I do. I, I, as somebody who has gone on stage and has done garbage shows. Um, and had performances where I was like, well, that's not what I wanted to have happen at all. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I was backstage. I was like right behind her when she was singing. I, yeah, I, I don't know. There was some, I, I just, <laughs> you know, I don't like punching down and this, this feels... no, no, we're not punching down. This is just a big question mark. There's, there's questions. I'll agree with that. Okay. okay, bud. I'm going to go to bed. All right. And we'll talk to you next week. We'll follow up on Louise Dean. Sounds good. Thanks, Sarah. Okay. Take Thanks. Care. Bye. Staying on the education piece, it looks like Pete jumped off. So I'm just going to quickly stay on the education piece for a quick sec. And I'm going to remind everybody that there is a very important rally coming on up on October 22nd. It is the Rally for Public Education. It's being put on by the ATA. There are some amazing, amazing folks that are involved with it. It's up in Edmonton at the legislature. If you can get up there, if you live up there, you got to go to it. If you uh, have the means uh, to get up there for it, there's going to be some amazing speakers up there. Uh, it's going to be a, a really important event. And I think it's absolutely critical that uh, as many Albertans as possible, especially given some of the nightmare policies that um, uh, Daniel Smith has proposed in regards to micro schools and, and charters and all of that kind of stuff. If you're a parent with kids in the school system, if you're um, a grandparent with kids in the school system, if you're thinking about having kids down the road, there's a whole list of really good reasons why it's important to make it clear that public education in Alberta cannot be compromised and Micro schools are a terrible, terrible idea for so many reasons. I don't even have the time. It looks like we have Pete back, so we're going to toss him back in and see if he's got anything to say. What's going on, Pete? Pete's on mute. you got to hit the little microphone thinger in the bottom left-hand corner of your mobile device, Pete. Or oh, Sorry about that. There okay. we go. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. What's yeah. going on? Yeah, someone was uh, mentioning something about uh, Daniel Smith's uh, constitutional, we're not a subordinate um, 
a bit of government. And then she had a great tweet on it. Quote, one of my favorite classes in university was executive federalism. One of the profs was Peter Lougheed. One of my classmates was Daniel Smith. What she said here is not, and that's in all caps, we learned. And we didn't have founders uh, writing from divine revelation either. So, um, if, uh, yeah, so I would highly recommend uh, people check that out and, and don't be shy to use it frequently. And um, she talks about the founders. There's some someone that did like, uh, she was doing some webinar and she had that uh, Gadsden sort of don't tread on me flag. Yep. And uh, so to sort of, you know, I'm sure there could be some sort of very creative meme uh, with that um, to go along with that quote. I mean, I'm not saying that if you go back through the breakdowns history, you'll find one of our puppets doing a bit in front of the, the Gadsden flag. I'm not saying that, um, but it's it's a possibility. <laughs> and we're getting started on our next Smith puppet already. Because uh, we have the the high quality Jason Kenny, not Jason Kenny puppet, and he's going to have to to go into retirement pretty quick here. But we are getting started on a, a high quality, not just a sock uh, puppet for for our new premier. God help us, everyone. Uh, God help you. <laughs> right. Well, thanks for sharing that tweet, Peter. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. So yeah, first time I enjoyed your Twitter account, but. Uh... Yeah, it, uh, good luck dealing with the. Uh, there's one one other thing I can't remember, but some uh, I think it was a University of Calgary prof uh, did a thing on uh, the convoy in terms of Albertans' attitudes. I think old October six, he did a couple of tweets, and he actually did a report. I can't remember the organization, but it was the same thing that Frank's Graves did. Uh, Voice of Frankie, the poster down east. Uh, he did something on, you know, Pierre Polyev and the, the convoy radicalization, but um, had some really interesting um, graphs and charts that I would encourage your listeners to check out, as well as the actual report itself. Um, I can so tell, I can, I, I can to use in my, my level of now in the election nerdery right here. That was produced by Common Ground and it was tweeted out by Dr. Jared Wesley out of the University That's of the guy. Alberta. Um, and I mean, I would say I would encourage everybody to take a look at the follow the Common Ground account for sure because they also did uh, a really amazing uh, one of their. I don't know if student's the right word, if I'm if I'm going to go with it, though. They also did a really amazing thing just recently where they talked about the difference in how elected officials presented the convoy and how they talked about the convoy and how they talked about issues like the, the wet sweating situation. Um, so there's some, there's some very, I would use the word damning, uh, revelations that come out of that as well. So, yeah, thanks for bringing that up there, Peter. And especially that... Uh they did a thing rating what Albertans thought of different protests on a scale of zero, you know, crappy to 10. We loved it. And they listed Black Lives Matter, Wet'suwet'en, yep. uh, a couple other ones. And the one that was at the bottom was the convoy, 2.34. So people might need reminding of something like that um, on a frequent basis. And there's a nice visual if anyone wants to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Just make sure you credit Dr. Wesley and the, the Common Ground Initiative because they do amazing work. 
Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so thanks again. All right. Thanks, Peter. You have yourself a good night. You too. Um, I think that is all of our speakers that are queued up right now. Um, I do. Uh, there's, there's some people that I'm really tempted. I see in the audience tonight that I'm really, really tempted to, to, to wave in, but I, I hate being that guy. Um, cause it's just, it's, it's, it's uncouth. If people want to talk, they'll talk. That's always my rule. Um, but that being said, again, um, we're gonna we're gonna we're hopefully gonna be getting some folks who are helping to organize that rally that I was talking about, the rally for public education coming on the show in the next little while, hopefully before October twenty second, because you know that's the date and everything. Um, it's not the twenty third, to be clear. Uh, <laughs> it's the twenty second of this year, um, and looks like we have Carl who's tapping in. Let's add yeah. Carl in. Um, Carl, what do you got going on tonight? It's that darn mute button. Gets everybody, I swear. You there, Carl? You know, I got to show my boots before we get the feedback here. Can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear you just fine? Great. I just had to shut my Bluetooth speaker off before we get the feedback there. Sounds good. Sorry about that. No worries. Thanks for passing the mic on, huh? And uh, you know what? It's been a while since I've checked in here. So it's great to see you're back up and running here on Sunday night. Absolutely. It's uh, everybody needs a hobby. That's right. You know what? I, uh, I have a couple of my own walking dogs and stuff like that. And uh, I just love checking into your show, man. You always seem to do an awesome recap on some of the really big issues that are going on. And uh, one issue that you did talk about tonight was the um, by-election topic, right? So would you want to revisit that topic for a few minutes? Sure. If you got something that you want to add to it, by all means. Well, I mean, I'm looking at this. I've been thinking about this too, right? The five-year clause and, you know, the they're supposed to call a by-election six months after a resignation of an MLA unless there's an election within one year. But they haven't dropped the writ. So, I mean, um, the way I see it, right, it's like there's those three options, right? There's the five-year mark, right? Are they going to stick with May or a snap election? And, and you know, a lot of people are really preparing for a snap election. I've heard that a lot of people, I, I know that there are rumors and rumblings, and we've had a few politicos uh, reach out and say, like, hey, what have you heard? Um, but I think that Smith has has been very, very clear that she's going to wait until the 29th. And I think that if you take a look at what the the success rates are of snap elections in Alberta, they don't typically go super well for for the government. And I think that also Smith recognizes that she needs um, as much time as she can get to sort of rehab her message and and move from the the far right that she was hanging out in over to the the more moderate and i'm air quoting like crazy over here um uh side because i mean the pivot's already started like i said earlier when we take a look at how she's she's reframing how she's got her 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 chief strategist or whatever reframing the the sovereignty act um and the language that she's used uh i think she's moving the goalposts as quickly as she can um 
And I think that we're probably, I, I think Sarah was mentioning this earlier about the, the Sovereignty Act. If it, if it is Bill 1, it's going to be a very watered-down Bill 1. Um, but I think that one of the other things that we're going to see really quick is the Danny Bucks. I think that we're going to see that $300 um, health spending account nonsense happen uh, very, very, very quickly um, because she needs to definitely, she's used to playing in her silo. And if, exactly. anybody, if anybody is giving her any kind of advice, it has to be there's a lot of people who are not in the same silo that you brought to the, the UCP leadership race. Well, that's just it. And uh, she's, you know, going to the same silo by cashing in on the resignation of uh, a teammate in, in Medicine Hat, you know. And so it just echoes their agenda of, you know, appointments and not allowing everyone to check in at election time. Yep. So thanks a lot for, for seeing eye to eye on that. I uh, I just really wanted to talk a little bit more about that. I think a lot of people need to hear that legislation. I, I believe that five-year clause comes out of the Legislative Assembly Act of Alberta. Yeah, it appears in a mistaken. couple places. I've seen it um, so people ones. need to look at that a little closer so we all know what we're talking about. I, I would look at it really close and... Uh, um, I saw that six months and one year thing too. And I just, I had to check in on that topic because it was just, it rang a bell with me. Thanks for passing the mic on. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm by no means a legal expert or, or a legal scholar. I only just in the last couple of weeks have learned some new legal terms. Um, but uh, uh, at the end of the day, when, when the debate was going on, we, th we threw it out to the, the smart people who know the law things on the Twitterverse. And to me, it was very telling that they all were like, it'd have to go to court uh, because it's contradictory. Yeah. And one of the things that, that I really think is important is when you have the opportunity to, to listen to experts, it's good to do that. <laughs> and so exactly. as soon as they were all like, no, nah, there's no real good answer here, it would have to go to a judge. I was like, well, that's not closure, but I guess it's probably <laughs> true. So, yeah, thanks for checking in, Carl. Hey, great talking, Matt. All right, you have a good night. We got CJ now has kind of been bouncing back and on and on onto the speaker thing, so I don't know if I've got him riled up. CJ, what's going on tonight? The Wi-Fi's acting up like the rest of Alberta. Oh, fair enough. Are they, Does that mean you're yeah. rural, Alberta? <laughs> uh, I'm in Redstone, man, so like okay, so might as well be. So much. I mean, well, technically, kind of, sort of. Yeah, you're, yeah. Uh, you want to talk about, talk about authoritarianism tonight? I mean, if if you want to. Oh, you changed your <laughs> profile picture. This is Carlos. Yeah. <laughs> I totally didn't put that together. You changed your profile picture, man. Uh, yeah, if you got if you got anything to add to what we said on Thursday, because you boy, we got into it pretty good on the on on the Thursday night conversation. Yeah, we did. Yeah, uh, I've been thinking about it, and uh, I just wanted to ask you: Did you watch that Mercedes Stevenson interview with with Jason and Danielle? No. You gotta go watch it. Okay. DM me a link. Because oh, I will do that right after. No, but yeah, like um, uh, remember what I said on Thursday? It's 
it doesn't matter if it's capitalism, it doesn't matter if it's communism, it doesn't matter if it's socialism, authoritarianism is authoritarianism, or I might have just said that to you at some point under many conversations. I mean, it's a good line. Let's 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 say that you said it on Thursday. I don't know that anyone's going to fact check. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So the reason I'm kind of ooh authoritarianism is, um, and I understand the law is different in every place, but it reminds me that some uh, this whole thing about running, opening up the election in one place but not in the other place. It's first of all we're going to spend the money anyway, and and to me, spending money on an election drop in the bucket at the end of the day. You know. Yep it's draw it's does not matter and elections an election it's gotta happen but um in venezuela something that my friends on the other side like to talk about a lot um this happened actually a little while back and it again this is why i told you it scares the crap out of me that she won because it happened and and the president President didn't call an election, and the people that they didn't do it. I mean, seven months is not a year, but it's very damn close. Um, people got mad. People ended up getting very mad. So, well, I don't, I'm curious and, if she realizes who she's who she's potentially pissing off because the folks in the yeah elbow is not without resources. <laughs> Did we lose you? I think your Wi-Fi is terrible. I think we might have lost CJ. There because... You can... Oh, you're there. Oh, okay. I was like... Are we going to do the can you hear me now bit? We might, if you can't hear me. I can hear you now. So keep going. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, I so what I think about Calgary Elbow... Um, I think a lot of people are going to get pissed and it's not necessarily the NDP. It's not necessarily the Daniel Smith lovers. It's going to be those middle of the road, Greg Clark type of people who are going to end up getting pissed at the end of the day. Yep. Because they, 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 that's the most expensive area of Calgary. They pay a lot of taxes in that area. And there's a tweet that I saw and I don't, I'm not going to name this person. And they said that most of the people who contact their MLA are lower class. So what do the people of um, uh, uh, Mount Royal and that area care? I'm like, well, they're taxed a lot. So they might care that they have somebody speak on their behalf in the legislature. So, I mean, my thing is, if, so if, there's if, that. if you think the folks in elbow don't get engaged, I got one word guidebook. That's all I'm saying. Anybody in Calgary knows what I'm talking about when I say that. Um, there's, I, I would, I would end, underestimate the folks of Calgary Elbow at, uh, at, at your own jeopardy for anybody who wants to try to do that. And I think, I mean, to your point as well, I think that there's, there's something fundamentally wrong with picking and choosing which democracy is important. I mean, I had to giggle a little bit at, at Smith's um, when she was doing her announcement where she talked about there's so many people who feel so forgotten and underrepresented. And I'm like, you're standing next to their ex-MLA. But she, she pitched the whole thing as in representation is so critical and people need to have representation unless, of course, you're not in a constituency that I can win in, in which case, probably never mind. Um, 
which is a really gross way of, of looking at things, I think. Yeah, and I, I also wanted to say this. Um, to the people that think uh, it's a slam dunk for any party, it's not. <laughs> at the end of the day. Oh, no. uh, the general. I mean, it's, it's not going to be a slam dunk, and we got to get prepared to have a Smith premiere for a little longer than eight months. Yep. I totally agree. We got it. Yeah. And that's, that's something that people got to be prepared for. And by say I prepared, I don't mean be complacent and leave the province, which is not going to help anybody. It, I mean, what I mean, it's uh, sometimes you got to do a little protesting that is safe and healthy. Yep. I will say that. And that does not obstruct borders. And and please don't try to kill any RCMP officers. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Things I have to say that. in the province that I live in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I just want to get that that out of the way. But yeah. Um, uh, one final thing I will say it's uh, I saw some somebody again I can't remember for the life of me who said it it's. The reason she's pivoting to the center is because she's doing what Andrew Shear didn't. Yes. She's doing what Andrew Shear didn't. And what's going to happen or possibly happen, it's what's happened to Andrew Shear. It's what happened to Jay, uh, to Jason Kenny, what happened to Aaron O'Toole. She's going to piss off that right, the right so much that she's gonna, we're going to be at this in what, two years more or less. I love your optimism. If I wouldn't she does... even give it that long. <laughs> I just don't want a UK thing to happen, you know, going to election every couple yeah. weeks. New leader every 24 hours. There's an expiry yeah. date printed on their forehead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hear you, man. Yeah. So get prepared. That's what I'm saying. Good stuff. <laughs> and be okay with the now fact Now I know that your profile picture, pretty... too. So I'm going to make sure that I tap you in uh, every time because I was like, who is that dude with the, the Ray-Bans? The dude that spent six hours with you every three every three days. Well, for, yeah, but it's, it's a very small picture on my screen. <laughs> All right, Carlos, thank you so much right. for, for again, and uh, yeah. we will we'll chat soon. Oh yeah, um, I think that clears the board, and it's we're coming up to the hour and a half mark again. So I'm going to say a big thank you to everybody who participated tonight. I'm going to say a big thank you to everybody who's, uh, you know, that we had a bunch of people ch chatting in the, the chat on the YouTubes tonight. That's great to see. Um, so thank you for doing that. Uh, I want to say thank you to everybody who's listening to the podcast version. If you're watching this after the fact on Facebook or the YouTube, thank you so much for taking the time to, to listen, to, to be engaged like this, because like Carlos just said, the engagement piece is absolutely critical for the times that we're heading into. Um, I'll do the obligatory plugs as well at this point. Um, for Well, before I do, I want to do one other quick little update. Uh, there is, I just posted today uh, a vague update on the GoFundMe for the, the legal fees for the situation that the breakdown is currently trying to navigate. I want to say a big thank you to everybody who has contributed so far. Um, it, things move at very very strange paces it seems like they go really really quick and then really really slow and i'm kind of kind of limited as to how much i can talk about it so um 
that update, I think, is public, so you can go on there uh, and, and take a look at that. But as well, if you've got a little bit of coffee money kicking around that you didn't really need that fancy Starbucks for, you can always sign up to be one of our Patreon supporters at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdownab. There's perks. You get to see the interviews a little bit early, and you get the warm, fuzzy feeling from knowing that you help us to continue to improve the the sound things. We got we got a note on the the YouTube chat tonight that our audio was doing better and it's because we were able to buy some toys to make the audio better. So I want to say thank you to everybody who contributes every month on the Patreon. Um and I totally get that there's a lot of people who can't. Uh so I want to say thank you to everybody who shares uh, all of the stuff that the uh, breakdown puts out. That's it for this week's. Um, I don't think we have any major events planned except for maybe Tuesday. I don't know if we'll do a live on that one, though. Um, otherwise, we have some great episodes coming up. We have, we're ticking another another ticky box off on provincial party leaders that we've interviewed for reals, not just puppets. Uh, we have another provincial party leader who's going to be appearing on the show later in the week. We're hoping to drop that episode on Thursday, and we will be back next Sunday the same thing that we do every Sunday. Um, So until then, take care of yourselves. Keep the conversation going.